Welcome to Tartan Talk with USA Kilts, our interview series where we chat with interesting people in the Celtic heritage scene, industry insiders, artists, influencers, you name it. Come with us as we highlight unique perspectives and inside stories. So sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy the conversation. So for those who don't know who you are, give me your 30-second origin story, comic book story number one. Who are you? Where'd you grow up? All that. All right. Well, first, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, my name is Doug Cavanaugh. I'm the artist behind Celtic Hammer Club. Uh, grew up in Hunterdon County, New Jersey, but for the last 14 years, I've made my home on the other side of the Delaware River in Upper Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Nice. Yeah. So the name Celtic Hammer Club, where did that come from? What happened with the name? All right. Yeah. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to explain it because it confuses a lot of people. Uh, they think I make hammers, or that I throw the hammers in the Highland Games or do blacksmithing or all kinds of things. Um, also, if somebody buys a shirt with it on, uh, the name on it, they're worried that the rival club might attack them or something. I have to reassure them that no, Celtic Hammer Club is just the name of this entire artwork project thing that I'm doing. Um, it's just a name I thought sounded cool. The Celtic part is self-explanatory. The hammer part was supposed to kind of be like Thor's hammer representing the more like Norse style stuff that I do. And then club, again, just because I kind of thought it sounded cool, rounded it out, Celtic Hammer Club. So that's it. There's no gang involvement. There's no, nothing like, like that. Club, yeah. nothing yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, right. It's just the name of what I came up with for everything that I, that I do. So what got you started down the art path? When did that start in your, in your life? Uh, from the time I was very little and I always loved drawing and I would draw whatever topic I was into at the time. So like dinosaurs, uh, sports figures, uh, then comic book characters. And then um, sometime, I forget what grade it was. It was in my adolescence. Uh, they had us do a heritage family tree project at school. Last name Cavanaugh, super Irish. I was always aware that I had Irish ancestry, but never thought about it as a kid until this project. And then, you know, talking to older members of the families, that was like one thing we had to do was interview uh, people in your family and hearing some stories it got me a little more interested in it and then uh, Pop culture at the time like early to mid 90s like Braveheart came out You know if you remember Steven the Irishman and, mm -hmm. and when the Irish mm -hmm. team up with the Scots at Falkirk I thought that was so cool um, Titanic remember the Irish are in the uh, bottom of the ship partying and having fun and the rich guys are off being lame somewhere I thought that was neat and uh, a couple other things just made me uh find the culture and all of the history of everything like fascinating. And then that was like it. I was off to the races. I thought, whatever this is, I want to be a part of it. I want to be involved in it. And I started to learn about like the knotwork styles and the Celtic artwork styles and just trying to teach myself how to do all that intricate over under stuff. And it was really, like I said, like high schoolish age and really been doing it ever since. Nice. So how did you move from uh, your pen and paper art style to the other forms of art that you now produce? Um, relatively recently, um, I started doing shows. So I was just drawing things and like I said, from high school, notebooks full of drawings. Uh, sometime in my 20s, I thought, there's gotta be something I could do with all this. I just, rather than just sitting in a notebook, nobody looking at it, I'm like, let me do t-shirts because you could do the print on demand sites, whatever. So I just started doing that and then I thought, let me do some actual shows. So I just got t-shirts screen printed up, started doing some local shows, and then I started to meet other people, other vendors at these shows that had different 
skill sets. And that exposed me to the idea of like, well, this doesn't have to be a 2D medium. There's a lot of stuff you could potentially do with this. You've got the art, what else can you do with it? And mostly from interacting with other people with different skill sets, other artists, uh, opened up that world to me and the idea of trying new things, doing different things. Aside from pen and paper, and now iPad, <laughs> what is your, what's your other favorite medium that you work within? So the main thing uh, that I got involved in after meeting a friend at a show that did sandblasting, and we are at a show that was actually pretty dead, so we were milling around and we, that's how we met each other. And when you're saying show, art show, craft I'm show? I'm sorry, this happened to be a, a Celtic festival. Okay. Okay. Um, and we met, and this was actually about an hour away from where we live, and just talking, it turned out he lived around the corner from me. So it was like an odd uh, coincidence to meet up like that. But he did sandblasting of stone and was pushing me like, listen, your stuff could be really cool on glass. Um, I brought him one, uh, a stoneware bottle that I had that had meat in it. I just saved the bottle because it was cool and uh, showed it to him like, would this work? Like with your sandblasting thing? He's like, that would be perfect. And that's where that whole line of things started to come about. And then he kept pushing me to do it on my own. He's like, get your own equipment, do it, do it, do it. And uh, you know, his encouragement led me down that path and how I really got started doing that type of thing. Nice. I, I think it's it's very interesting how artists and, and people of that you know with that soul mm -hmm. um, really try to help each other and want each other to succeed. It's not a competition. It's how can we collaborate? How can we work together? How can I help you improve in your craft? How can I connect you with different people? Um, the one thing that you just reminded me of when you talked about he lived around the corner from you. The way that we found you was. Uh, a, a, one of our customers, Aiden Crawford, who's out in like Arizona or mm -hmm. something, and you did something for him. And I'm like, wow, Aiden, that thing is really awesome. Where did you get that done? And he's like, oh, it's this guy, Doug from Celtic Camera Club. He's over in Pennsylvania. And he told me, where, I'm like, I grew up 10 minutes from where you live. Yeah. And I'm like, this is amazing. So and like, I had to go across the country to find our local artist. Right, yeah, it's such an easy drive too. Like it took me like an hour to get here, beautiful back roads, like it is, still super ironic to me how close you guys are and how much we have worked together since, you know. Because I grew up going to the Celtic Classic and seeing you guys there, you know. I didn't know yeah. where you were. I had no idea, really. Uh, but then when you reached out to me, I was like, oh, like, oh my God, USA Kilts, like, wants to do something <laughs> with me? Get the hell out of um, here. No, it was cool, because like I said, I grew up going to Celtic Classic. That was a huge uh, influence on my work and interest in Celtic culture. Um, so that was a big deal. And then to learn that you were like, maybe not right down the road, but close, you know, in the grand right. scheme of things. It's uh, interesting coincidence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your, your evolution as a business person. What's been your biggest challenge going from a pen and paper artist to a business person and trying to, you know, basically have, make a living off of your life's work? Um, it's just an entirely different skill set. You know, <laughs> it's marketing primarily, like the whole idea is I need to get eyes on my stuff. Nobody knows I exist unless I can get in front of them. So how do I do that? Social media primarily. Now that's a whole other thing. Algorithms, like how many times do you post? What do you post? It's like a whole other world um, to learn about like what kind of content like works, what doesn't. Um, yeah, I would say just the marketing, even like trying to figure out what to charge for something, you know? I may have made a piece that took me like hours and hours and hours, but it might not be worth so much to somebody, you know what I mean? Trying to find that balance between um, 
making, not, not undercutting my efforts and my work, but also I don't want to carry it around forever. I do want to sell it. I want to move it. So really everything, you know, trying to figure out what's an appropriate sale price. Uh, how do I get in front of more people? How do I navigate the social media thing? Um, it's all pretty challenging. It's an interesting challenge and I do have fun with it. Like I do enjoy making content. Um, I enjoy trying to get out in front of people. I've been enjoying doing the shows. Like that's been um, something that helps me network. And that's a big thing too, networking. Like even if I wouldn't necessarily make a killing at a show, how many people have now seen me? How many people have met me? And they get to meet me, right? So that helps too. I think a big part of it, especially being like a small time, like artist kind of individual guy, um, is letting people see who you are. Like, I'm not like some big company. I'm not some corporate thing. I'm not some mass produced thing. I'm like a guy with a little shop in Upper Bucks County that makes things by hand, okay? And I made all the artwork myself. I usually try to emphasize that to people. I'm like, these aren't like Google images. Like, I actually designed it all. And they're like, oh, wow, really? Um, so I try to emphasize that and just get in front of people and let them see what, who I am and what this is all about. Yeah, it's it's difficult as a, as a smaller creator um, and I'm thinking back to when you know we first started having to figure out you know okay here's the thing I want to make here's the thing I want to do oh wait but there's I have to do everything else myself to be a real business yeah. versus you know just doing the thing that you are good at and hoping that you can develop the skills with all the other stuff that are tangential to it especially as a one-man band it, it keeps it, growing then too because yeah. it, it turn, it's like all right well start a social media account all right, well, you realize if you want to be successful at that, you got to post like every day and that keeps growing. You know, now there's like different platforms and different platforms, like different content works on that. And it does keep growing and you have to keep learning if you want to keep up and that's the road you want to go. And that is, if, if there's the biggest challenge, it's trying to figure out like, well, how much time am I going to put into any one thing? Like how much time am I going to devote to social media versus drawing and creating things you know it's like you know like you said I'm one person I've only got so much time um, that's a challenge too trying to just allocate your time and figure out what makes more sense for me to make some kind of a post or a video or should I be designing something like that's a challenge too trying to find that balance and finding creative ways maybe to do both at the same yeah. time while also having a wife a new child and you know balancing the rest of your life right. with your artwork with the business with all the rest of it yeah yeah so time time is probably the biggest challenge <laughs> yeah so your art is uh obviously heavy heavily inspired by both celtic and nordic art um why did you choose those two things and how do you blend them together it's a good question because i've had this question before where some people don't understand like why would you put these two together like it doesn't make sense to them um when i came up with the idea of creating like my own style of work to potentially sell or do things with. The whole idea, like going back to what I said earlier about like it being inspired like by family history and everything was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a typical American mutt. I have a lot of different things in me, but you know, I've got a lot of Irish and I've got a lot of German and the, you know, Germans have that same pantheon that like the Norse had with the mythology and the gods and all that. So that was all fascinating to me. And the whole thing was really supposed to be a kind of tribute almost to my ancestors, people that came before trying to keep things like this like alive, so to speak, just keep it going. So I wanted to incorporate both the Germanic and the Celtic side. I didn't want to like pick one over the other and neglect one side of my ancestry. I wanted to do both. And, and they do work together well, even just from a historical standpoint, you know, during 
uh, medieval period with Vikings and everything coming in and out of like Ireland and Scotland and everything else. Um, they influenced their, each other's art tremendously. Like all that knotwork stuff is very, not too far away from the Celtic knotwork. And you can see the influence, you can see the overlap and the um, influence that each one had on each other, even like culturally, artwork wise, you know, genetic studies they do, see how much these two cultures actually interacted, blended together, influenced each other over those centuries. And that also is what influences me. So your femur design, you have your design on your t-shirt here today. Um, this has kind of your, been your seminal piece and it's gained a lot of you know, popularity, that particular design in the Celtic and Nordic kind of art world. Um, tell me a bit about that design itself and how that came to be. Yeah, sure. So it goes back to 2016, January 2016. Um, it started off as like a commission piece. Uh, this paintball group in Europe who had members from Scotland and Sweden, they loved my blend you know, of the Celtic and the Nordic. So they reached out to me and they wanted me to design a patch for them for that, their upcoming season. And they wanted Fenrir. So I did it and it was too complicated. It was too detailed. They couldn't use it for the patch. So I had to go back and like make something more simplified, which was fine. And I just thought, all right, well, it's cool, I'll keep it for myself. And that's really where it started. And I started posting it, you know, like I said, started with the t-shirt stuff, posting it on there. And then next thing you know, I'm like scrolling through social media, I'm looking online, I'm looking around, I start seeing it everywhere. And I started to catch on to the fact that like, oh my God, like, this is crazy. I can't believe like other people are finding it and liking it and tattooing it on themselves and all this uh, type of thing. So yeah, that was kind of the genesis of that whole thing. So take me through um, kind of your, your emotional journey with that. How did it feel going from, you know, you know, A, designing it to B, wow, this is kind of, you know, getting bigger than I thought it was gonna be through to the, um, you know, maybe a bit of annoyance that your design is being, you know, utilized elsewhere. Yeah, so it was early on when I, from when I started posting stuff online. So when I first started seeing it spreading around, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like it's, other people think it's cool. It was, uh, it was a cool feeling at first. It was like, you know, interesting. It's a neat ego boost. Yeah. To be yeah, able sure. to have people uh, like acknowledge and accept and love your art, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was not a bad feeling. <laughs> um, then I started to see it being sold on stuff, people profiting off of it. And that's when it started to turn where I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't such a good thing. And then uh, what is now a close friend of mine, my, my tattoo guy actually, Chuck, reached out to me on social media and, and he had been dealing with this for years. He does you know, artwork as well. And he's just like, hey man, just reaching out to you to let you know like your stuff is everywhere uh, and people are ripping you off bad. I've been dealing with this for years. I think you're gonna wanna pay attention to it. And that's, that was like kind of like the turning point where I realized, oh, uh, this is maybe something I should pay attention to and do something about. What was your process in enforcing that? How did you kind of go about, you know, actually trying to start doing something about it? So the main thing is basically finding it and then issuing what they call DMCA takedown notices. Just basically reaching out to say like Etsy or Teespring or whoever it's on and being like, hey, this is an infringement on my copyright, please take it down. And then they're legally supposed to comply. Um, spent hours and hours and hours doing this. I would actually set time apart each month and go through and find what I could and report it. I would find hundreds of listings, 
report them. Um, but then the thing that was super frustrating was they take it down, but they, they put it right back up. You know, the only obligation that the platform has uh, to any of this is to acknowledge your, your notice and to take it down. They're off the hook. What changed and escalated it was when some of these platforms, big platforms, were blowing me off, not taking it down, not responding to me, not doing anything. Um, and I found an attorney, and at this point, I'll, I actually should back up, I had formally copyrighted it. So in order to take any kind of like real action, you have to have it formally copyrighted with the U.S. Copyright Office. Like if you create something, it's, it's yours, it is your copyright, but to actually take like some kind of legal action, you have to have it formally copyrighted. So in that time period, I had that done. So I had it formally copyrighted, and I had reached out to uh, an attorney who was happy to help me, and we started just through the process, being like, you can't blow me off. Uh, you have to take action, you have to do what's right. And it's, been, it's an ongoing thing, it's always an ongoing thing. One thing that I noticed is uh, what ends up happening is a, a company like Teespring or whatever, um, they're just a print-on-demand service, mm -hmm. and they're kind of you know, skirting the legal liability by saying, well, that's just this guy's shop. We'll tell him he's not allowed to do it. But then that guy opens up two or three other shops mm -hmm. or another two or three shops open up. Is that what you found as well? Or? Oh, yeah, and that is the ongoing problem. That is the, <laughs> that's really the, the problem to solve. It's like, all right, you're like cutting off the head of the snake, but then 10 more pop up. Is there a more permanent solution to this? And it is something I'm, me and my attorney are working on. He's got some good ideas. I'm not going to go into them here. But, um, yeah, that really is the thing to look at because, again, they're not under any legal obligation. And here's the other thing, too. Uh, the other side of this that also uh, motivated me to take it to like a legal thing was uh, other artists were getting ripped off, like on Etsy. Like these are other artists, artisans making their own stuff, and they're going onto um, stock photo sites and actually purchasing it, spending money on artwork being sold by somebody else under the the preface that this is uh, royalty free work. You buy it, you can use it. It's like no, it's actually my work. So now they're getting screwed over all because this platform allowed this guy to put it up, you know? And that was what motivated me. I'm like, listen, this, this is out of control. Like, multiple parties are getting hurt here. Um, something's gotta be done about it, you know, to the best of my ability. And again, it's just an ongoing thing. Yeah, it's, it's difficult when you're a little guy, so I, I give you props for, you know, trying to stand up and get your, you know, control back over your work and you know helping others kind of you know navigate that process a little bit as well um what was the i heard uh one of the th things i heard was your your artwork was in your family was in a video game or something or oh. yeah um assassin's creed valhalla came out i don't know what two years ago something like that i'm not a gamer so i didn't know anything about it um I was actually getting Fender tattooed on my forearm by Chuck when that game came out and we were talking about it and we said, how much you want to bet at least one of our work is in it? And sure enough, somebody that follows me sent me a screenshot, like, hey man, this thing is on a skin on one of the boats. And it was, you know, Fender on the shields and on the, on the um, sail and everything. And I texted my buddy right, right away, I'm like, I beat you, I got, I got mine in before you. But yeah, it was in, the, it was in that game as like a, right. like a skin you could get for the boat. How was the process in working with, was it EA Sports or who was the, the company? That's um, Ubisoft okay. in Canada, yeah. How was the process with them? Because there's going to be some that are more honorable or less honorable in, yep, we didn't know, sorry, take it down, or can we pay you a royalty or whatever, versus, psh, you know, blow you off kind of thing. How was the process with them? No, they were cool. They didn't know. I mean, like, this work gets farmed out, you know, 
different countries and they don't necessarily right. know what they're doing or how they're going about creating these things that they hire them to do. So they were completely like, you know, uh, cooperative and everything. And, you know, the thing that was different with that was they're not really profiting off of it. You know, it's just a skin in the game. So that's a little bit different from say, uh, somebody else that's like actively profiting from selling it, you know, a t-shirt yeah, or right. something like yeah. that. Yeah, so that was a little bit of a different situation. But it was, even though, again, it's like your work being used, you're not getting credited and whatever, and it's just disseminating it, giving the impression that it's like just free to use, it's just a stock image. That's not so good, but it was still pretty cool to see it in the game, you know? I gotta admit that. So having your artwork in a video game is a cool milestone. How do you feel about people who actually want your designs inked in their skin? How do you feel about people who want Celtic Camera Club designs as tattoos. I, I love that, it's awesome. And same with uh, you know other artisans like on Etsy, like I found everything that want to carve it or do their thing with it. I, I genuinely love that. This isn't about like, oh, this is mine. I hate anybody that uses it. It's just like the profiting thing. So if you love it so much, you wanna get it tattooed or use it for something, super cool. That's a big compliment. The only thing I would say is if you do love it that much, you might wanna consider I'll buy something from my shop or something, just just as a supportive thing. Like if you like it so much that you put it on your skin forever, and you're paying the tattoo guy to put it on your skin, you know maybe be supportive of the artist so I can keep doing what I'm doing. You know, like that is helping me to do the thing that you like so much you would put on your skin forever. So I just think that's something to keep in mind. But to me, it, it's honestly a compliment. Somebody likes it that much. I saw a guy one time scrolling through Instagram. This was pretty early on with a like bald head, with it tattooed huge like on the back of his skull. And that's where I'm like, this is getting out of control. I even saw a picture of a guy, both cheeks, thinner on both cheeks on his face. I swear to God. I'm like, that's wacky. I mean, it's cool, I guess, but like, that's pretty wacky. That, that could be a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> so since we're on the topic of morality and the art world kind of thing, what are your thoughts on uh, the, the current hot topic? What's your hot take on AI, hmm. uh, artificial intelligence, with the art world creating art versus using it as a tool? And what are your thoughts there? Yeah, that definitely is creating an uproar. All the people I follow are, were getting pretty upset about that. Um, and I think understandably so, because the way I learned how it works is they're basically, they call it scraping the internet for images. Scraping, they're taking them. They're not, no, it's unauthorized use in my mind. So if um, I, you wanted to train the AI to paint like Picasso, I said, oh, uh, AI, paint me an image of Rocky Roger with his kilt flying up like the famous Marilyn Monroe picture, but in Picasso's style. It'll do that, but like is Picasso, not that he's around anymore, but would he be all right with you taking all his work and then basically rehashing it? It would be technically a new image, but it still seems like an unauthorized use to me. It seems like everything we've been talking about, but like amplified, like you're just taking it. Like if somebody wanted to take all my work and train the AI, just put it in there, be like, all right, get me a, a bear tattoo in Celtic Hammer Club style. I don't know, something about that just seems like off to me. It doesn't seem right. So um, I don't think that, it's never gonna duplicate what the human brain can do. I still think that creativity is safe where I, it's not gonna be a human brain, but I don't like how it could potentially um, kind of like rip off creative people's hard work. And I don't know if cheapen is the right word. Um, the other thing I get concerned about is, all right, say somebody starts using AI to create Celtic or Nordic art artwork. It's probably gonna be off. Like I've seen pictures of AI where like the guy's got eight fingers. fingers. Yeah. It's always a little off. 
right? Which on one hand, it's like you're still going to need artists to correct the errors, even if you're using AI as part of the process. Um, but what concerns me too is being somebody that cares so much about this culture and cares so much about the history and the artwork and the whole thing is if the AI makes artwork that's just good enough, like the lines will be messed up, the over-unders will be messed up, stuff that like I, would drive me nuts and I, I would care about. Maybe the average consumer won't care. And over if enough volume of that stuff gets out, maybe it will like completely start to degrade that style of artwork completely. I don't know. I'm like the the way that I kind of I'm curious if it evolves in the way that you're talking about, like it's screwing up the fingers and whatever. If there's enough scale of AI art that's created, is it like the movie Duplicity? where it's a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy and it kind of degrades the yeah. art and breaks down and kind of goes off into mythical weirdness land versus actual human creativity that can't be replaced in the same way. They can simulate it, but they can't recreate it themselves. Or do they reach a point where they actually can? Yeah, I guess that's kind of the point I'm trying to make with what I just said is, is it going to degrade the stuff and make it worse, like the copy of a copy of a copy um, and kind of wreck it? Or is that the kind of hopeful part in this where it's like it will never be able to do what a human can and that's what will keep creative people safe? I don't know. We're going to see how it unfolds, I guess. I'd rather be positive. You know, technology and art has always been working together. You know, even going from painting on a cave wall with your finger to having a brush with bristles, that's a technological advancement. So, or going from pen yeah. and paper to yeah, an iPad. Yeah, I use tech. You know, tech is part of it, you know, and it helped me be a better artist and helps me do what I do. So maybe, you know, in a hopeful, positive way, maybe it could be used as a tool. Um, but I do worry about the unauthorized use of people's work. You know, even if I did it by hand, like say somebody came to me and wanted me to create a piece, but in someone else's style, I don't think that, that doesn't seem right to me. I shouldn't do that. It's my style or nothing. You know, I shouldn't be ripping off somebody's style intentionally. Um, so yeah, those are some of the thoughts I have about that. Now, back to your style specifically. You've created art. Um, in essentially three ways. You've done you know, art for yourself and just you know, your own designs. You've created art uh, in collaborations with other artists, and then you've created art as commission designs. Um, what, is your, what are some of the, the positives and negatives of each, and which one do you like the best? Um, honestly, I really do love collaborating because I can't learn how to do everything, right? Like I can't learn how to do leather and this and that and the other thing. But if I can collaborate with somebody and provide some artwork and then they do their piece and now you've got something completely new and different and it's, uh, you know, a physical tangible thing, that's super cool to me. And it's also awesome like meeting, you know, other artisans and seeing what they do, even if I don't, you know, intend to learn it completely where I'm going to do it for myself, um, just seeing their process and how they do it. Uh, it's fascinating. It's interesting. Just, it's just the whole creative process like that is interesting. Challenging-wise, um, probably commissions can be challenging only because um, if somebody has an idea in their head, they have to try to communicate that like into my head, right? So it's all about communication, and sometimes that's not so simple. Like a lot of times, somebody wants something and they're just open. Like whatever you come up with, like I want like a tattoo of a uh, you know Celtic fox or whatever. Um, and then I do it and they're like happy with it. And that's pretty simple and straightforward. But sometimes people have something more specific in mind and they've got a very detailed idea in their head, but they're not you know, a, a person that draws or whatever. So now they have to try to communicate and get me to understand that. And that can sometimes be tricky. Not that it's a bad thing, but it can be tricky. I feel called out right here, Doug. 
Not that, we, no, I don't, we've, we've never collaborated on had issues yeah. and had to go back and forth. Um, it can work out, and I feel this happens a lot when, when we work together. Um, I'll, when I design something, I do it to the point where I'm like, all right, this is good. This is the way it should be. But then you come back and oh, it's all wrong. Not all wrong. But the input from another set of eyes can be super helpful. And then you redo it with their vision and get it the way they want it. And it's like, oh yeah, you know what? That was, that does look better. That, that is a better way of doing it. But again, it just comes down to the communication thing. And that is, that's challenging. Again, not a bad thing, but it's challenging. Uh, Reading people's minds. That's what it is. It's like, you, tr you gotta try to get in my head uh, or I gotta try to get in yours to the point where I understand what you're going for and I can make that come to fruition. But then on the flip side, it's, it's very satisfying when you achieve success with that. You know, it's like, oh, we did figure this out. Yes, this is probably about as good as you could possibly get it. That's really cool. Like, that's, that's a good feeling. Do you find that um, either collaborating or working uh, you know, as, as a commissioned artist on a particular project, do you find that that expands your style or expands your understanding and you like that process? Um, like, I remember when we were, like, we used your, uh, 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 your Celtic stag on a shirt design. Yeah. And I, I specifically remember the conversation where I was like, I want, you know, I don't want the Triskels, I want a swirling knot here. And you're like, oh, I wish I, wish I would have thought of that when I did the original design. Yeah. Do you like that and kind of the critiquing of your work and evolution within it? Or no, you like doing what you do? Um, <laughs> the like quirky artist part of myself, like at first might be like, no, the way I did it is right, that's wrong. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I'm just being honest. Sometimes I have a little bit of reservation to like accept like some kind of other input, but when I then go through with it, it's like, like with that stag thing, like I still like the original way I did it, but when I saw like your input and how it was, I was like, yeah, you know what, that is a little more badass. I kind of like that. <laughs> I wish I had thought of that, you know, type of thing. Um, so yeah, I'm willing to admit when I didn't have the perfect idea right up front, you know. Hey, sometimes it's there's a little reservation <clears throat> at first. Hey. It's, it, it's, and this is not meant to sound negative at all. I know you well enough to say this. It's, it's part of the, and I have the same problem. It's part of the ego thing of, well, this is my thing that I did. Right. And you know, it, it's accepting other people's ideas into your process. Yeah. And that's what I'm curious about is if you enjoy the input of other people or if you feel almost defensive, like they're critiquing my work or they're changing my thing. No, I, again, like I said, may, there may be times where I'm like, no, I, I put so much thought into this. I got this just right, just the way it ought to be. Now you're going to make me change it. Oh. Um, I mean, there's like maybe some of that, but like I said, at the end of the day, more often than not, I feel like the other set of eyes, the other input actually improves it. So speaking of your approach, take me through your design process. Where do you start a design and all the way through to how do you know when it's finished? So obviously it starts with an idea you know, something inspires me or somebody brings me an idea of something they want and then just start thinking about how it could look in my mind. I may do look at some stuff uh, on the internet, especially if it's like a piece of folklore or something I'm not familiar with, I'll learn about it, read about it and see what pops out about it to me and just, again, kind of like a wheel turning thing. And they have basic layout, basic concept in mind and then I start sketching it out. Like I use the iPad, uh, pretty much exclusively now, but it's still sketching, playing with it, playing with it, playing with it until it looks right to me. So it's like a lot of trial and error, a lot of trial and error um, until I'm getting more or less happy with it. And then usually like say if it's something that's got like a body and then there's knots around it or something, I'll usually get like the body or the main part kind of down 
and then I start like filling like where the knot work might go. And um, again, it's just kind of like a playing thing until it looks right to my eye. How do you know it's done? And it's a little bit tricky because sometimes I will tend to, I think, maybe make it overly complicated or too detailed and got to pull back the reins, not make it look too messy with too much knot work and striking that right balance so that it is um, not too much, but of course not too little. Um, there's definitely been times where I'm like, dude, stop. Like, it, it's done. You could keep messing with it forever, literally. Go back and forth, back and forth, changing things around. I think some, sometimes I look at something I'm like, that's perfect. I love it. Sometimes I have to stop myself and be like, you're, not, you're spinning your wheels at this point. It's good. Accept it and start progressing forward to you know, make the, the finalized piece. What's your relationship uh, as an artist with negative space versus positive space? How do you feel about leaving sections open versus you need to fill every single tiny detail? To me, that's kind of the fun and the main thing of that kind of knot work, Celtic and Nordic style artwork. It's like filling in space with like detailed knots and everything and making it fit just right and also a balance. Like it's not, it's like super thick and like loose over here, but then super tight and like, it has to match, it has to fit, it has to, you know, the over and the under. And um, yeah, it's just like practice, you know, you kind of get an eye for it and learn, like, it was an interesting transition, like learning more about the Nordic versus the Celtic. Like when I was younger, I was pretty much just doing exclusively Celtic. And with the Nordic, they've got more, um, I'll call it like wiggle room as far as um, you know, scalloping out certain pieces, making stuff like super thick in one spot, but then narrows down to thin in the other. Um, it allows a lot of freedom to play, to fill in those spaces till it looks uh, visually appealing. Um, I mean, that to me is the fun of it, is just playing around with it till it looks cool. Some of the, uh, uh, the things that you do that I don't think I've seen anywhere else um, with your designs kind of as signature you know, details, if you will, is like you're, when you do the knot work over and under, you do the little lines on either side to make it look like it's a physical thing that's kind of been squished under, or you do like the bands yeah. on on some of the, like the, the swoopy, you know, angular right. pieces. Yeah. Um, where were, did you take inspiration for that particular style of thing, or was that um, something you just came up with on your own? No, that that is kind of like that difference I was saying between um, like the Celtic and the Nordic. Like some of those, like the bands and certain ways of using the lines and everything um, is a little different. And um, yeah, that's not my creation, but I put it to use um, depending on what it is I'm, I'm doing or drawing exactly. So your artwork has both a, a historical feel to it, but it still looks modern. Is that by design or kind of take me through that? Yeah, that, that's definitely by design. It really wasn't my intention to just purely recreate what's already been done. Like as incredible as it is, as amazing as like the Book of Kells is and everything else. Um, it, it wasn't my intention to just strictly like recreate it. Um, I wanted to interject some of my other interests into it. Like growing up in the 90s, I liked all that like like grunge and heavy metal, like Alice in Chains and like typo negative and different stuff like that. So I always liked like heavier music and things like that. Um, so I kind of wanted to bring that into it as well. So have something that's like got a historical basis and looks like something that could be Celtic or Nordic, but also looks like it could be like a heavy metal band's t-shirt or something, you know, or on so their album cover. A so, blending of like uh, the Book of Kells with Pusshead yeah. as an artist, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, just a little bit of like uh, edge or like a little like ferocity in it, like, you know, the head of the Fenrir, like 
you wouldn't see that on like the Steve Church or something like that. Um, but it looks cool. You know, it's just like got just the right amount of like, you know, little umph to it to make it my own style and also just kind of like a more modern twist on it. So what, you know, based on your, your existing body of work, you've done Celtic stuff, you've done Nordic stuff in the blending of the two, you've done bottles, stoneware, you know, you've you know, partnered with leather artisans. Um, where is the next, what's the next medium? What's the next area you want to explore? Um, so I recently got myself like a laser engraver and started playing around with that, which has been really interesting because it's just so versatile and um, can get such fine details. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been experimenting with that. That's been interesting. And with that, I'm hoping to maybe do more like wood stuff. I'm curious about wood. That's one thing I don't really have. Um, and slate, like I've been playing around with slate. Uh, I have some like slate coasters now. Uh, it works really good on slate stuff. I, I'm thinking about ideas to use it, like like I said, slate, wood. Um, yeah, just kind of broadening out a little bit that way. So we will end with this question. What advice, thinking of other artists, thinking of this video and the good it can do for other people who watch this, who are just getting started in their, in their career as an artist, what advice, what sage wisdom would you impart upon new artists who are just getting into the craft and just finding their feet in their own style? Um, just don't be afraid, you know, like take a chance on stuff, you know, like even if it's simple, like I started with just t-shirts and then uh, see if you can learn from other people. Like I've mentioned before, meeting other artisans and leaning, learning from them. Uh, the other thing too is I would say uh, kind of follow where the art takes you. Like when I started, I had kind of a different vision in mind. Um, I was thinking more like uh, 19th century, like Irish immigrant brawler, John L. Sullivan um, type stuff. But most of the commissions I was getting was Nordic. And I did have Nordic stuff, but like I was getting mostly Nordic style commissions, which taught me a lot more about Norse mythology. And I fell more and more in love with it, got to know the style more and more. And a lot of people are like, why do you call yourself Celtic Hammer? You have all Viking designs. It's like, that's just kind of where it took me, you know? And I don't regret that. And it's, it's led me down a path I didn't necessarily expect, but I think it worked out and it allowed me to grow and kind of be where I'm at now. So I would just say, um, yeah, follow where it takes you. Like, don't be afraid to try something. Just go for it, you know, just get the sandblaster, get the uh, chisel set, the pyrography set. You know what I mean? Just give it a shot, you know? I, I would say that would be what I would say. Excellent. So if people want to find you online, what are your socials? What is your website? How do people find you? Everything is Celtic Hammer Club. So CelticHammerClub.com is the website at Celtic Hammer Club on Instagram, Celtic Hammer Club on Facebook. Um, yeah. Cool. Oh, Celtic Hammer Club at Gmail if you wanted to email me. Cool. Excellent. Well, Doug, thank you again for coming out. Thank you. I love your artwork. You're an amazing artist. I love collaborating with you. I got on my my uh, Fenrir buckle leg out of my axe kill pin that we did together. So it has been an amazing collaboration from our end. And uh, I wish you a lot of success going forward in your career, brother. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate no it. Yep. Thanks for joining us. The intro music for Tartan Talk is Irish Coffee by Giorgio De Campo. If you want to get social with other kilt enthusiasts, go check out the Kilts and Culture group over on Facebook. You can find USA Kilts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or over at our website, usakilts.com. If you like the show, it would really mean a lot to us if you left a rating since it helps new people find our show. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, Slanjava.